0: Namo Tassa, bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa Namo Tassa, bhagavato
1: arahato sama
0: sambudasa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one.
2: Do ye, or
0: Yen che rulai zhen shi yi, the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma, in a hundred thousand million eons, is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom to thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, uh, welcome to our sutra lecture. We're going to continue to look into the Avatamsaka Sutra's Ten Grounds chapter. We're on the third ground. And first thing you need to do is to turn to the front cover of our text. We're going to invoke the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and chant the name of the sutra. (laughs)
2: The <laughs>
0: This is Saturday, September the 1st, year 2012. We're here in Berkeley, California. We're looking into the third ground of the Flower Garden Sutra, the Flower Garden Sutra. We have two seats available down here in front. For people who have no seat, please do not be shy and uh, jump right there. Okay, page 66 and 67. verses section and we actually did the first verse last time but we're going to start over because uh, I've been working on the, smoothing the smoothing the English so <clears throat> we're going to recite the Chinese with a melody we're going to chant the Chinese so'll I'll give it to you and it should be easy to follow. We'll do the first two, the first two Chinese quatrains. Ching <laughs>
2: Jing An Ming Shang Ching Jing Ming sheng. Yango,
0: One more.
2: 菩萨诸慈发光的, 菩萨 Bye.
0: different, so you don't have it in front of you, I'm going to read it to you and see if you can give it back to me just from hearing, alright, I'll do it in short bits, here we go. Minds which are pure, secure and full of light, transcending minds, free from greed and harm, stable, courageous minds stable, courageous mind. minds, wide open and spacious. minds wide open and spacious wise ones use these to master the third ground
2: wise ones use these to
1: master the third ground yeah,
0: good, one more the bodhisattva who stays the bodhisattva stay. on, this stage of light on this stage of shining light contemplates all activity Activity, as unsatisfying and short lived, tarnished, coming apart, tarnished coming apart quickly, over done, quickly over and done, neither durable nor permanent, neither, nor permanent, neither, coming, nor going. neither coming nor going. Okay. Here we go. This part of our text is reiterating what we studied before in the earlier part of the chapter when this Dharma was presented in, in prose, in long lines in the text part now we've come to the verses and the verses have the nature of repeating they repeat what was presented earlier and we get a second chance to look at the the principles of the Dharma and review things that Went by pretty quickly uh, on the, the uh, first time around, and to understand what's going on, the the ten grounds of the sutra are a they're a piece they're they're one teaching although each ground is has its unique. There's don't give up. There's one more here. We go. Uh, they they're diverse and unified at the same time. That is to say, they're all part of the instructions for a bodhisattva, how a bodhisattva should practice and live. But they come from different aspects. It's kind of, what would it be like, um, when you graduate from college, you are considered a Bachelor of Science, or a Bachelor of Arts, or Fine Arts, for example. And that's a degree that's different from other degrees, but it's made up of many courses. You took lots of courses in the process of becoming a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science, uh, etc. So the Bodhisattva is the same. These ten grounds are one particular teaching, but they contain different aspects of the Bodhisattva's path. Furthermore, they're sequential. You go from one to two, you go from two to three, you go from three to four, and so forth. The bodhisattva on the tenth ground is a very different person than the bodhisattva on the first ground. He or she has been through uh, a lot of training, a lot of changes. They have mastered all kinds of new skills, uh, and they have proven themselves worthy of the test. They stood the test. So, our Bodhisattva now on the third ground knows more than the Bodhisattva on the second ground, and you draw the inference, more than the Bodhisattva on the first ground. So, on the first ground, the ground of happiness, the stage of happiness, and we're using the word ground, but you could substitute the word stage just as easily. On the stage of happiness, the Bodhisattva um, reviews um, all of the cultivation that he or she has done to get to that point. And the ten stages, the Bodhisattva is f- pretty well advanced on the Bodhisattva path. Some people would consider this too difficult to even explain, so they wouldn't even try. i That's not my experience at all. I find this very approachable. So that's why we're explaining this piece of the Sutra that is really big. The Avatamsaka Sutra is long. It's a long, long teaching of the Buddha. The ten grounds is... 65% through it, maybe 60% through it. So we're already more than halfway through the Bodhisattva path. On that first ground, the ground of happiness, the Bodhisattva overcomes all fear. He or she has put fear behind him, her, which is a big thing. If you think about how we, how many things make us anxious during the day. Uh, the Bodhisattva has gone beyond fear. The Bodhisattva in that chapter learns about giving. He learns how to be really generous. The Bodhisattva learns about being a benefactor, just giving material things, giving courage to people who are afraid, giving dharma to people who are hungry to understand what's going on behind the surface of things. So, he or she masters giving in that first one. In the second ground, second stage, we learn all about the ten evil deeds and the ten good deeds. The Bodhisattva masters what's called generally virtue, um, sometimes called morality. The Bodhisattva focuses on goodness, how to be a good person, how to master humanity's best, brightest potential for benefiting people. Um, So, giving and precepts. If you're versed in Buddhism right away, you go, huh, number one is giving, number two is precepts. I'll bet number three is about patience. Why? Because this is the progress of what are called the paramitas. And in fact, the third ground where we are now is all about patience. All about patience. The Bodhisattva is very, uh, he gets tested a lot. The Bodhisattva's patience gets tested with things that would make you or me blow up, things that we basically couldn't stand. The Bodhisattva faces those and stands the test, doesn't get angry, doesn't blow up, and masters patience. So what what I'm suggesting is that there's a deeper structure to these ten grounds, which corresponds to the Bodhisattva's paramitas, which are sometimes known as the perfections. But they have another name, which is the ways across. The uh, liu du, sometimes called the shi du. The six ways across, the ten ways across. And the other thing to know about them is, usually they're grouped by six. But in the avatamsaka, they add four, and there are ten of them. And we we won't go into that technicality at this point, but just so you know. Essentially... The practice of patience is what our bodhisattva has now mastered and we have been following him or her through uh, these this progress what has he done the, this chapter the third ground begins with the bodhisattva looking at the things of the world and making some decisions and the verses tonight are showing us what he or she has seen which is what He's looked right at the things of the world and they keep vanishing before his eyes. They keep breaking apart in his hands. They keep disintegrating when they should be strong and stable. They keep falling through when they should hold him up. right? And on one hand, you could say, God, that's, that's so frustrating, that's so terrifying. Well, on the other hand... If you can be patient, you go, Wow, I've never seen things that way. You know what? That's how they really are. So if you can get past the initial um, scary, terrifying, frightening aspects of things falling apart before your eyes, you can gain and grow in wisdom. You grow in wisdom when you see, wow, I didn't realize that. Now, um, mind you, I haven't touched the text. I'm giving you the overview, right? We're just kind of easing easing our way into this text so you can get a context so you can figure out what's going on. Did you have chemistry sets when you were kids? Yeah? Yes? Anybody have chemistry sets? No. Okay, something good. All you science majors had chemistry sets, right? When I was a kid growing up and it was a long time ago one of the best Christmas gifts you could get was a chemistry set and five points to the name of the maker of the chemistry set that was sold in America it was called Gilbert anybody remember? I'm the only one who remember God oh Gilbert it was G S H S Gilbert chemistry set Remember? It was a little red metal box. It was so cool. There it was under the Christmas tree. My brother and I were like, Wow! Mom and Dad. Great gift. Great Christmas present. And it was a Gilbert chemistry set. Because why? You could make things that went bang. You could make things that smoked. You could make things that, like, you told yourself it was poison. Ah! You know, you real stuff. And, and maybe it was a guy thing, but guys, I mean, You know, bang, it'll blow up. Make gunpowder. We did. We made gunpowder and put it in a rocket. And the rocket went and didn't move. Oh, what a bummer. But it was so cool. A Gilbert chemistry set. And even the box was cool. It was red, it was metal, and it latched really firmly. Right? Anybody? Yes? Gilbert? Okay. So, Gilbert Chemistry set. The Gilbert Chemistry set came with the next year a microscope. Oh, my brother and I got a microscope, and microscopes—that's the point I'm leading this to. Microscopes were so cool; it was a real functioning entry-level, you know, proto-scientist microscope. What did you do? You had little glass slides, and all you chemistry PhDs, I'm sure, are pricking up your ears. It had little glass slides, and you took an eyedropper and went into some tap water and put one drop of tap water on the slide, turned the light on, and went, and you went, who knew that every single drop of water has all these crawly things, swimming things, you know, things with tails, things that were obviously eating each other, things that were setting up house. You know, things that were checking their Facebook page right there in that drop of water. Who knew? You know, things were alive in that drop of water. And, and then you go, uh, <laughs> I'm not so thirsty anymore. <laughs> I'm drinking all those living. We didn't think that at the time. It was just weird and yicky and cool, you know, that you could, every drop of water... There were microbes, living things in there, having families and grandparents and grandkids and in that drop of water. Every drop of water that we drink, even though East Bay Municipal Utilities District, eBay Mud, tries to kill them all, or just the bad ones, you know, it's all in there. Go down to the pond, go down to the gutter, and dip up a cup and then come home and try that one the eBay, East Bay I mean, if Municipal Utilities District has not put its chlorine in and you'll be amazed at what's in that drop of water always there we just can't see it because these don't have that microscopic lens so there it was all along it was there and I didn't know it and Piece of, a piece of reality fell apart before my eyes. Something that I had assumed was just water, turn on the tap and out it comes. It's not what it was. It was something very different. And it, a piece of my assumed reality, I thought everybody shared the same view of water. Not anymore. Because I had looked into the structure of that water to a certain level and realized, good grief okay, now, I never took it into the next step I was not much for science but the textbook said H2O two hydrogens, one oxygen, right? two hydrogens, yeah, H2O two hydrogens, one oxygen and then they froze it and it became ice (coughs) oh my god Golly, and then you boiled it, and it became steam. Oh my lord! And you could still drink it. And you go to the ocean, and you go, can't drink the ocean water. That's different. Oh my! You know, suddenly something that earlier had been very solid fell apart, and it became like, what are you telling me? The steam is the same as the ice? They're so obviously not the same. Steam is not ice. Ice is not steam. And yet, they are. So, this is a mundane example of something that I experienced. This total dynamic instability of elements. And yet, what was the host to all of these changes? The air. The air allowed the water to become steam and then congeal into water and then freeze into ice and then evaporate oh my golly so there's water and air are like in cahoots in making these magical transformations that I thought were like just air and water solid and stable and reliable and the same, not at all it's all changing then when I finally got to the Dharma and the Buddha said earth, air, fire and water make up this thing talk about unstable and Changing, yeah. Look, look at a picture of who you were at age three and you'll see, oh my goodness, we are it. Changes are us, right? We are not stable and solid and dependable and reliable. So the Bodhisattva has now applied that very same contemplation to what are called all conditioned things meaning everything in the world that is made up of other stuff, which is everything. And he goes, he has the same, you know, emotional reaction that I had looking through the microscope into that drop of water, which is, it's all changing. There's nothing dependable, solid, stable from second to second, most of all including our bodies. All right, so that's the background for our text. That's where the Bodhisattva is in this phase of his investigation into the third ground, the third stage. He's looking through the Dharma microscope lens at all conditioned things and watching them break up, watching them transform into other things. And it's a shocker. And you need what? You need patience to get through this. Otherwise, you could just say... This is way too hard to explain. I'm going to go shopping. I'm only interested in the externals. I don't care about this deep investigation. It's too scary. But our Bodhisattva doesn't react that way because he or she has something at the heart, which is vows. The Bodhisattva is not only tuned into the emptiness of all conditioned dharmas, he's also tuned into the compassion of the suffering of people who want it to be one way and cling to it, and then when it isn't, suffer. So that's the heart that gets him through this awareness, is the heart connection, compassion. He says, boy, I've learned to bear it when it breaks up. There's so many people who can't let it go when it breaks up because it will and it does and it is as we're sitting here breaking up so the bodhisattva looks at that and goes yeah i need to find a way to explain to others how painful it is to hang on and how bit by bit they can learn to let go and it hurts less Okay, so that's kind of the preview. So, here we are. That's our context. Are we ready to look into the, the text tonight? The first phrase, the first stanza, the first quatrain, a quatrain is a group of four lines, right? The first quatrain is minds which are pure, secure, and full of light, transcending minds, free from greed and harm, stable, courageous minds, Minds wide open and spacious. Wise ones use these. To master the third ground. So each of these grounds. The Bodhisattva sets up. His investigation. By taking on. Mind set. We kept the word mind here. For the sake of the verse. Because mindset is a really unpoetic word. But in other words. Each one of the grounds. Requires some preparation. You got to get in the frame of mind. You have to prepare yourself because the things we're going to find out in this are really, they shake up your reality. They shake you up. They don't, you're not allowed to keep the same assumptions when you go into these grounds. There's too much going on. It's too deep. The the, the level at which this information is touching you. So the Bodhisattva uses a, what? 清静安住明圣 three things pure stable and ming sheng flourishing in brightness is a not effective way to say full of light it's full of light that's what English people English speakers say so I've massaged the English just to let you know that's why what you're reading on the right side of the page does not correspond to what I read because I'm we've now made some uh, we smoothed the English alright just to say that much he uses also Yen li wu tan wu Hai. Xin, that last word in the line is a mind, a, th- a mindset. Okay, what does it? Li means it means fed up and leaving behind. The early translation was disgust which is, that's not disgust is not the right word to describe what the Bodhisattva is feeling. It's not disgust. He's he's seen that things are breaking up on all sides and he goes Oh. Not not what I thought. It's kind of it's you could also say exasperation. He's fed up, but that's kind of that's a little too colloquial. It's hard to get exactly the right word for that. Yin, Tao Yen in Chinese, yin means um Don't, you've had enough. You've, uh, in French, you say, ça suffit. Dislike. Dislike. Where's my pen? Yeah, dislike would be okay. Um, Dislike is all right. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. Dislike would be okay. Dislike is better than disgust. Disgust implies something else it's dislike Um, and what else wutan wuhai non hyphen non hyphen the way our early translation doesn't work so it's what the bodhisattva is he has an attitude that is free from free of harm free of greed he no longer looks at certain things and wants them no longer looks at other things and hates them. Although he can dislike, meaning he he doesn't. He's no longer confused by things that used to draw him. He's no longer um, upset by things that used to he used to hate. So his mind no longer moves from those extremes of love and hate. That's the wu, wu tan wu hai. That's what it's talking about. Um, dispassion. Dispassion. Mm-hmm. There's our word. That's it. Yeah, lovely. Okay, thank you. That's good. Dispassion is the word we want. All right, third line. da. Chenggu, it's it's not that you have a solid mind. A solid mind, think it's like an ice cube. That that's not what you want, or a granite. It's stable. Jiangu means stable, meaning not wavering, not uh, fickle, not up and down all day long. So stable. This person got a stable, a sound attitude. Sound would also be good. A sound mind. Yongmeng, courageous. A mind that is able to see these things break up and not freak out. This is somebody who can take new information, um, able to process information. We were, I was talking to someone this morning after our uh, reciting of the Ulambana Sutra, somebody who has a relative who is experiencing uh, psychic disturbances and has no way to admit it. This is a person with no religious faith whatsoever. Uh, a, an absolute concrete realist. Somebody who is totally grounded in a material view of the world and has never had a single spiritual thought. And things are happening around her that she cannot explain and something's going, there's a collision there's a train wreck about to happen in this person's life because they have gone through uh, 66 decades of their life denying uh, in the reality to, to anything that doesn't ex- that they can't see and hear or touch or buy and sell and now things are happening naturally around them that uh, require lightening up, require you to let go of that totally, con- uh, totally material interpretation of the world, and she can't. So the question was, what to do about that? And the gentleman is saying, "Yeah, her mind's closed." I thought that's it. Your mind is locked, closed, and locked. What to do? What to do? When? Reality has to be interpreted through your senses. There's, you, can't, you can't admit imagination. You can't admit creativity, something new. You can't admit um, humor. Humor often depends upon surprise. right? Think of all the things that are in our lives that are not material. A sense of humor, creativity, Imagination, right? What about mm, kindness? What about empathy? Is empathy a thing? No, but who wants to live without it? You right? can't do without a sense of connection to people. So there's a, there's a what in my only psychology class in college would be called cognitive dissonance. That's the phrase. This person's about to have a train wreck in her in her life. Because things are happening around her. She's seeing and hearing things that she can't admit, she can't explain materially. And so the friend was asking, is there anything we can do to like open her mind? He said her mind is closed. I thought, yeah, that's it. The bodhisattva, now, yong mang guang da. Look at the mind. Guang means this. Expansive this way, right? Da means three dimensions. Just really big. This Bodhisattva's mind can contain anything. The mind is infinitely expansive to admit all kinds of things now. Why? Practicing patience. What does patience mean? Patience means something happens that previously you could not admit... And now you go, okay, I can accept that. I have room in my heart for that too. That's hard, but people did it, and people will never stop surprising me. I could admit that. Even that, I can admit. Um, My... Mother's older brother, bless his heart, Uncle John, was one of the very first American troops to enter the concentration camp. I don't know if it was Treblinka or Dachau. He was a courier for General Eisenhower. General Eisenhower was the Allied commander of, for the U.S. of the forces that invaded Europe uh, to finally push Hitler back. And it was 1945, and we were advancing. And when the Allied foot soldiers, with Eisenhower among them, got to the uh, western Poland, southern Poland, where a lot of the concentration camps were. They were across the border from Germany. Uh, He was among the first wave of troops that actually entered. And there were still, they didn't kill everybody. There were still the slaves that they had, the workers. There were still... Uh, some people whose turn hadn't come to be gassed and burned and my uncle writes he he was interviewed about that uh, actually just about uh, about eight years ago before he passed on somebody had dug up the fact that he was among the very first group to go in and we were all like, gee, Uncle John, why didn't you ever tell us about that? And he got this look on his face when I asked him that. And uh, he, you could see the emotions on his face were still rolling around. Because what he saw as he entered the concentration camps, he could not accept. He had no room in his heart to understand how that was possible for people to do to people. And he denied it. So what do we say? We say he was in denial. And yet he and his uh, fellow infantrymen drove in in a Jeep and got out and saw these these ghost like human beings who had been cl- so close to death at the hands of the, the Third Reich, the Nazis, and he could not accept it. The Bodhisattva's mind is Guangda, infinitely expansive. There's nothing the Bodhisattva can't find room for. So he had buried that, and then finally, when I think it was the Kansas City Star, because he grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, um, they had asked him to talk about it because some, somebody was doing a report about the uh, military history, the Allied advance into, into Germany at the very end of the Second World War. And they had tracked him down and they were asking him what had happened. And it was a formal interview and he broke into tears. Because he couldn't, this was 1940, so 60 years later, right? Uh, he could not, he had no room in his heart for what he saw. So his answer was to deny it. And every time something touched that memory, it rose up and he just, his grief was beyond, was more than he could control. So, it's interesting why I brought that up tonight. I didn't expect to talk about that. But talking about something that you have no room for in your heart, the horror of that, seeing human beings reduced to 90-pound skeletons still alive who had witnessed what they had gone through, was more than my father, the soldier, my uncle, the soldier, the driver for General Eisenhower, uh, could, could handle. So his, his answer was to bear it, just to, to deny it. But he had seen it. So the Bodhisattva, what the Bodhisattva can expand. Even experiences like that, he or she finds room for. And how hard would that be? How much patience would it take to see that and not want to kill every German you met? Right, would be run response, to strike back, uh, indiscriminately, and to to go out and you know, shoot all the German prisoners immediately in retaliation. Well that's not that didn't happen either. So what would your response be? The Bodhisattva has a uh stable, courageous and What Wide open, stable, courageous minds. Minds wide open and spacious. That's the way to translate that. Minds wide open and spacious. There's nothing they can't contain. Okay, now that's pretty exotic, right? That's when you think about the extremes of human behavior. What about when you go to work Monday morning and discover that somebody's gossiping about you, right? You understand that people look at you and they shift their eyes away when they see you come into work and they're kind of, mm-hmm, you know? And then you, you get an email that says, did you hear about it, what they said? What, what did you think? You go, what, what? And they, oh, you don't, oh, I should, no, I didn't tell you, nothing, nothing, that's Okay. You know, and you, oh, you know. You realize you're being gossiped about. And mind you, I hope this does not happen. This is purely hypothetical. But suppose something like that happens and you realize there's a story going around about you and nobody's going to tell you what it is, right? And this just gets that little itch gets in there. Do you have room in your heart for that? Can you go, well, on one hand... I appreciate that people are concerned with me. On the other hand, you know, rumors are probably 45% true, 65% false, 55% false. You know, and that's nice. And, you know, if I pay no attention to it, it will die before tomorrow. If I pick it up and get upset by it, it will live all week. And it might even make it out onto the Internet. And become viral, you know. So it's like, okay, you had nothing better. Thank you for talking about me. omitofo. you know. All of you who take my name in vain, may you all quickly realize Buddhahood and we'll cross each other over, you know. If you can, you know what that requires? Patience and a spacious, wide-open mind. And if you can do that and really let it go, just like a fart... When somebody farts in the elevator and you go, wasn't me, you know. And somebody's in there with their face red. You know, do you carry that fart outside the elevator? Do you like go down the hall thinking, who was that after all? You know, somebody... somebody farted in the elevator. You don't, you let it go, right? It's like you leave it in the elevator. Okay, when you hear that somebody gossiped about you, you leave that fart at the water cooler. In the coffee room. Let it go. And guess what? Over. Right? Why? Because you have patience. You have a guang dashi. You go, yeah, like, like, come on. And then something touches your mind and you said, oh, you know what? I was gossiping about so-and-so last week. And I carried it on to two other people. Now I know how it feels. You know what, after this, leave that fart gossip in the, in the coffee room i 'm not going to gossip anymore. I know how it feels to be gossiped about it 's really unimportant. that 's a guang xin. so our Bodhisattva has these mindsets, and Zhizhe yici Ru sandi, the wise ones plural. Use these attitudes to master the third ground, because that's what they're about. This third ground is a stage of wisdom that the bodhisattvas got to pass through. Okay, so that's our setup. That's the mindset. So far, so good. Any questions about... Yes, Uh uh-huh. You you have to speak up, I can't quite your voice isn't quite loud enough. Go ahead. Say again
2: please. Even someone so hate you and can I kill you? It's for some reason. You need to get up your to um to show someone to them that i something. So even if you give you life or something or somebody. So
0: did anybody hear? 对不起, 听, your your voice is too quiet. I can't quite hear it. Is can somebody hear is is do you, have, you want to say the question again simpler? Just just he wants to speak in Chinese and you have the opioid with you? Oh, qi
2: Okay.
0: Uh huh. Right, and she wants to know if it's right or not. I I didn't get the comment. Okay. How? Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the text is very uh elastic, you could say the text allows you to interpret it in many different ways. So if you want to interpret the bodhisattva uh sacrificing their lives for living beings, that certainly is what bodhisattvas do, yeah. Mm-hmm. But But Guangda Guang talks about expansive this way guang means broad wide da adds another dimension so it's this end it's the third dimension just big so a big mind however you want to interpret it you can interpret it that way so the wise ones use these to master the third ground okay let's let's go down to the next stanza okay the next quatrain here we go pusa ju guangdi. fa guang So, I've translated this different from our our verse on the right-hand page, 67. Now, the pronoun is not important. He, she, you can use whichever pronoun you want. He contemplates how all things born of conditions have a fatal flaw. They're tied to anxiety, depression, misery, and delusion. The bonfires of three poisons always blazing. And how from time without beginning it is so without cease. All right. Um, There are one of the hallmark teachings of the Buddha, one of the key messages the Buddha left behind and something that people pick up on uh, when you hear even a little bit of the Buddha Dharma are said to be the three seals, like, like uh, stamps. We we, see, we know rubber stamps, right? That kind of seal. The Chinese talk about Tudang, uh, tujang is a, it's that red seal that you put on there are two tujang right there the red seal imprints those are tujang, those are seals three seals of dharma you could also say three hallmarks three stamps three uh, templates of dharma three patents a patent, right? although the Buddha didn't patent it there are three hallmarks of dharma Of the Buddha's teaching, and this teaching is about small d Dharma's plural, Dharma's things. Okay, there's three things that all three hallmarks, three characteristics that all Dharma's are sealed by, stamped by, hallmarked by. What are they? All. Things made up of conditions. Notice what it said. All things born of conditions, things that come together being made by other things, which is everything water, H2O, two hydrogen, one oxygen. That's a conditioned dharma. Okay, all things like that have three qualities which are unique to all dharmas, which are what? and we need a better translation so Sanfayin, yin we need to get a good translation that's why you hear me fishing around with this if you say three dharma seals I think right away of a California seal three dharma seals you know, jump boys three dharma seals through the hoops you know. dharma seals that doesn't work Fa yin uh, three like s- signets, three signs, three signs. That's what we say. The three signs of Dharma, right? They all dharmas. The Buddha said all conditioned things. You can change the order. Sometimes it's Wu Chang, Wu Wo, Ku Kong. Sometimes those two get put together. Sometimes the Ku falls away. What are they? All conditioned things are one translation is impermanent we say transient moving on two free of anything intrinsically self anything that you can identify as being ultimately that so you could say a permanent identity and third the third one is really interesting because sometimes it's called kong, other times it's just called kong, which is empty. And that's the one that we have so much trouble with. Because the Buddha didn't mean that the, this metal is empty. That is hard. It's not empty, obviously. It's empty of a center, which is closer to what the Buddha meant. What is that? All conditioned dharmas are empty of any ultimate identity when you explain it that way it sounds like wuwo no self but there really there's an important difference in there when you add the ku that's kind of the fourth dharma seal but they link together it's unsatisfying if you're looking for ultimate something that you can get. all right? The Buddha said, these are the signs, the three signs of all dharmas. They are impermanent, not self, and empty. Those are kind of the standard dictionary translations. They're not satisfying as translations, so we've got to work with those. But these are key. This is the Buddha's they say a hallmark teaching of the Buddha, the three Dharma signs, the three hallmarks of all conditioned things, is they don't last very long. When you try to find out what they are, they keep breaking up in front of your eyes. And there's nothing, when you analyze them deeply, they keep resolving back to the void. How interesting. What is this? this is a scientific investigation of the nature of matter. Right? This is, I mean, laboratory scientists perk up their ears when the Buddha talks like this. Because right away you think, well, what do we, when we go looking deeply into things, what do we find? Atoms? Elements? Elements? Particles, the periodic table, right? Microscopes, electron microscopes, universes, protons, neutrons, electrons, right? Right away you're into that language of, well, what does the Buddha mean when he says things are empty? All right? Here's a piece of ebony. This is an ebony wooden fish, right? It's really hard. Here's ebony. Ebony on ebony. Makes a sound because it's empty, but that's not what the Buddha meant. He didn't mean hollowed out, so it would make a sound. He meant ebony is a hardwood, probably coming from Indonesia, perhaps, or Sabah Sarawak, East Malaysia, Borneo. And it's a tree this used to have roots and it used to have leaves and sap went through the capillaries of this living thing. And if you go to the tree and start to analyze it, you come up with hydrocarbons, the building blocks of all wood. This is a living organic thing that got captured at some point in its lifespan and turned into a wooden fish. And even though this is seriously hard wood, if I drop this on the fire and the fire is hot enough, it will continue on its journey, turning to ash and smoke, and also heat, right? Certain amount of joules of heat. All right. And light as well, a byproduct. So this is a conditioned thing. It's organic matter. We call it a wooden fish. Well, temporarily it is so, right? You make it hot enough, you'll see it change. It'll burn. Because wood is flammable, even though this is very hard. work, Something that is changing very quickly. These very beautiful... Anybody know what these are? I don't. Are they daisies? What are they? cosmos. Cosmos? Are those cosmos? Okay, could be. Anybody know? Confirm, cosmos? They're, they're hedges. These grow as, they're also a California native plant. I think if these were picked locally, did you get them from the neighbor's front yard? <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody's not, no, okay, good. Because these are growing next door. They're a Cali. Our next door neighbor doesn't have grass. He's got what's called native, native plants. And these are growing abundantly. So thank you for not, you know, stealing from the neighbor's beautiful garden. Because these are growing. I, took, I know because I photographed them three days ago. Anyway, I think those are called cosmos. Thanks. And they're, they're very nice. But man, they are... Here's the three signs of Dharma right in front of you. In two days, those are going to be... And in four days, they're going to be back to compost. Right? These are very volatile, fragile. They don't last long. All right, um, orchids tend to last a little longer. But find something in this room that is not hallmarked by transience, free of any identity, ultimately self that you can that's different from other things. What is the cosmos part of this that is named cosmos and is very different from daisies or roses or chrysanthemums? or mum, lilies can't find it made up of the same stuff perfect example, tea we do tea around here right? I was just reading today about pu'ar there are pu'ar trees in Yunnan that are hundreds and hundreds some people say thousands of years old and a good pu'ar tea tree produces really good pu'ar after 200 years still going strong Okay, that's old. Pu'er and Longjing and Dongding Wulong all come from the very same plant, the Camellia sinensis plant. One plant, and we're going, that's a really good pu'er. Oh, that's not so good. That's That's Sheng. that's sheng pu'er. That's not been, you know, and no, it's all Camellia sinensis. It's all on the journey, passing through... Put a hot water on it and drink it. It's an organic plant. So, is the puar different from the Lung No, it's the same. There's no self there. It is Wu All right? And then if you take that puar, and you can pick the leaves or the, the tree itself, or the tea once you brew it, and analyze it, what do you get back? Hydrocarbons, which can be investigated back to protons, neutrons, electrons, nucleus orbiting around with a different kind of valence and bonding and electrical structure and a half-life and nothing. So, now, what am I doing? I'm using a scientific analysis to look at these material things. The glass on my tabletop, I don't know if you can see, but my tabletop here is made of glass. Very hard... That glass is made of sand. Where does glass come from? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, glass capital of the world. no longer libby Owens Ford, Owens Corning, Owens, Illinois, glass All that came from Toledo before All those factories and plants are all gone. Never mind. So glass is organic. It comes from the earth. This melts get a fire hot enough and the glass melts. Go look at a building that's been through a fire. Okay, so there's nothing in our world that is not moving on, free of any unique identity, and ultimately not empty. Meaning can be analyzed back to where there's no component that is not... There are two unconditioned dharmas in the world according to the bai Fa Ming Lun. what are the two unconditioned dharmas that are in our world right this minute anybody know you're listening up go ahead Alan you're about to say it I can see it it's just bubbling up one is what Empties. empty okay translation problem S- space or air Okay, emptiness meaning empty, empty space. This, right, this stuff. I have an armful of empty space. That's an unconditioned dharma. It's not made up of other things. What's the other one? For extra credit. You remember? Nirvana. Nirvana. Five points to Wally. Yay. Good. Nirvana, which is you could say right here among us. Potentially, ultimately, anybody can realize nirvana. Nirvana is not made of other things. Finally, it is not a conditioned dharma. Wu chang, pu kung, wu Right? Nirvana is the absence of all of those, neither coming nor going. Bu sheng, bu mie. Bu go, bu jing, bu zang, bu jian. Nirvana is neither pure nor impure, neither increasing nor decreasing, neither born nor dying. So, there you go. Those are the only two things that are not made of other stuff. How interesting. So, what a radical way to analyze the world. Talk about deconstruction, postmodern, right? This is a radical analysis of the world around us. The bodhisattva is tuned into that. The bodhisattva has been using these lenses to look at all things around him, her. And the world looks like a very different place. It's a very different place. The Buddha said, it's a burning house. This is a Hojai. It's a burning house. It's burning down around us as we sit here. And we should think of a way to get out of it. He said. So the Bodhisattva Has now tuned into that and he's practicing patience. Patience, okay, because it's breaking up in front of his eyes, her eyes. He contemplates how all things born of conditions have a fatal flaw. They're tied to anxiety, depression, misery, and delusion. The bonfires of three poisons always blazing. And how from time without beginning it is so without cease. Alright, we need to explain. Let's look at the Chinese as the Bodhisattva stays, not dwells. The Bodhisattva who stays on this stage of shining light contemplates. Here's the verb. The Bodhisattva contemplates. The Bodhisattva is not like depressed as he looks at the world. He's not a misanthrope, you know that word? Somebody who's like serially depressed, he's always bummed out. Not. He contemplates. The Bodhisattva sees the world this way, notices, pays attention. Those are the verbs we could use. The Bodhisattva notices how all, this is a key, this is a hard one to translate. Literally it means practice or activity activity. Things, dharmas. I translate it as um, they are. Let's see here. How all things born of conditions. I translate that as things. Then earlier translation that I was using was how all doing, with a quote around it. How all activities, all behaviors, all deeds that are done. So every time you move, in other words, how all motions, how all things you do, all the things that we do, are, and what does that mean? It You know, you think of the Tao Te Ching, right? In Taoism, they talk about uh, non-doing, wu wei, right? As kind of key to one of Lao Tzu's uh, key awarenesses in that text, is the Bodhisattva Tries to return to the state of doing nothing. When you get to Wu Wei, nothing is not done. That was one of the great, beautiful lines from the Tao Te Jing. Wu Wei are Wu Wei. When you reach non doing, everything is done all by itself because of the karma of everything around you. So he contemplates how all things born of conditions, what is it? Ku wuchang. There's two of our dharma signs. They are unsatisfying. I translate it as have a fatal flaw. They are oops, wait, 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 wait. Ah, I've been reading off my wrong paragraph. Sorry. Scratch that. Erase that. All right. Here we go. Try again. The Bodhisattva who stays on the stage of shining light contemplates all activity. There we go. Contemplates all activity as unsatisfying and short-lived. All right? Cool. Now, here's... We're right immediately into translation of these texts. Cool. 99 times out of 100... Our translation, society, translated Kū as suffering. All things are suffering. If I say to somebody on the street, all things are suffering, they go, first of all, what are you talking about? Second of all, are you depressed? <laughs> Third of all, lighten up, dude. You know, like, people don't get what the Buddha really meant. The Buddha was not depressed. The Buddha was not pessimistic. The Buddha was not a malcontent. Right? That's not what he meant. What he meant was, and it's key to the translation, because dukkha, this is the word dukkha. Why do we translate ku as suffering? It's because in Chinese, ku can mean pain and suffering. But in the Buddhist context, that's not only what the Buddha meant. The Buddha did mean that if you're confused and attached you can hurt when you the things you're attached to move on and break up that's not only what he meant suffering in english doesn't mean dukkha dukkha does not only mean suffering in english what i think more accurately and dukkha is a big big word in the buddhist teaching it means the the best way that I know to explain it in contem- colloquial English is all things that we do never hit the spot. That's my best translation of cool They don't hit the spot. Okay, what does that mean? Well, name something that you've acquired in the last six months that finally hit the spot. Somebody says, Buddha Dharma. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well done. Right? The Buddha Dharma finally hits the spot. Okay. Other than the Buddha Dharma, empty space and Nirvana, what hits the spot? And by golly, it's hard to find anything. I will say, and I am not biased, and I am not prejudiced, but my Subaru Forester comes pretty close to hitting the spot. <laughs> I have a 2001 mini SUV that, by golly, is the most satisfying car, I tell you. I totally am a partisan for Subaru Foresters. I will say that the automobile review editor of the New York Times drives a Subaru Forester. This is a guy who could own any car because he's tested them all. He personally bought a Subaru Forester. Never mind, that's okay. Other than Subaru Forester's. You know, I've been really lucky with that vehicle. It took us to Oregon and back yet another time. So, beyond that, find something that hits the spot. It's hard. It's hard to find something that hits the spot. Why? One of the Buddha's insights is that desire cannot be satisfied, desire burns. And as soon as you get it, desire consumes it. And you want something else. Or you want another one. Or you want a different one. Or you got it and it ain't it. Right? Okay? If this principle were not true, country music would have to close its shop. Country music would shut down. Country music is all about you don't love me anymore. Right? Popular music, country music, that's the main theme, is you changed. Right? It's not the same as it was. It doesn't hit the spot. I thought you were someone different. Now that I know you better, I don't love you anymore. You're not very lovable. Right? That's what happens. Because why... Ultimately, it is ku, is involved in things that break up. This bodhisattva is so tuned into this because he has been looking through his microscope at everything now using the, the lenses of the sanfa yin, the three signs of dharma, and things are breaking up left and right. The result is ku, not suffering. It's not that all things are suffering. That's ridiculous. That's a really crummy translation. And we shouldn't stop with that. We should, every time we see all things are suffering, we should correct it. Because people go, God, you Buddhists are so depressed. What a bummer. You know, Can't you ever lighten up and be happy? Well, yeah. I mean, look at the face of the Buddha. They're not unhappy. It's not that they're suffering. The Buddha's profound analysis of conditioned dharmas is they don't hit the spot. When you get it, you think you got it, and it changes. Starting with the thing that is wanting to get something that hits the spot. Our bodies themselves are changing, constantly, constantly changing. We're aging, right? Gee whiz. Take a perfect example. If you don't drink your coffee black, but you drink your coffee with cream and sugar, put in a spoonful of sugar... And the coffee tastes pretty good. Put in seven spoonfuls of sugar. It's not right. It's like, wow, it was good a minute ago, but now you kept pouring It's like, Bleh. You know. Why? It's because things are so dynamic and flowing, it's really hard to get anything that hits the spot. That's a profound understanding. And... The Buddha, what did he mean by that? Well, second noble truth. What's the second noble truth? Right, Second noble truth of the accumulation. They call it qi Right, That things that come together fall apart. So don't look for satisfaction in conditioned things. Because you will never find it. That's the Buddha's profound awareness. That's hard to take. Especially when you say, till death do us part, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. Right? We need those things to stay together. Especially when you sign a contract with a parts provider or with a service provider and then they cheat on the contract. Oh, that was supposed to be solid and binding and so let's go to court and fight it out. Oh, so, the Buddha said, yes. What is it? The Bodhisattva who stays in the stage of shining light contemplates all behavior as ultimately unsatisfying and short-lived. Wuchang, things move on. Another profound awareness. So, cool and wuchang, unsatisfying. They don't hit the spot. So, I translate it as unsatisfying. Unsatisfactory would also be okay. As a translation of dukkha, they don't hit the spot. They never pay off. Conditioned dharmas never pay off. Don't bank on them. Don't put your money on conditioned dharmas unless you're betting that they will go bad. Then you're on the money. Right? If you bank on the three signs of dharma, that's a safe investment. Things will go bad. Things will move on. Things ultimately will be seen as free of any permanent identity. And things will never satisfy. Correct. Right? If you bank on the, the not part of the equation, you've got it. Unsatisfying. Dissatisfi- unsatisfactory. And short-lived. I pointed to the cosmos blossoms. These go pretty quickly. A couple days, they're gone. Orchids a little longer, our bodies a little longer. But tonight, tomorrow when you shower, your body will part of your body will wash down the drain, because we don't last. Right? We're falling apart in front of our in front of the mirror. Okay. What else? Move on. What else? Things are tarnished. I I don't know if that's the best word. I I chose that pretty carefully. Bujing, not pure. We don't, like we say, not pure. Impure, that's a funny word in English. Impure, impurity. In the Buddhist context, we know, I mean, that's a good word within the Sangha for precepts. Um, But in the world, the the Bodhisattva is not saying, oh, impure, that's impure. What he means is, Bujing, Pure here means adulterated. Unadulterated would be pure. The Bodhisattva says, yeah, that's, that's a turbid dharma. It's not pure. It's made up of all kinds of hydrocarbons. You could analyze it back to, it's, it's an admixture. Things are component. They're not essential. That's what it means. Not pristine. So, not pristine Bai why means breaking up. Bob Dylan has this great song that goes, Everything is broken. Right? That's a really good Bob Dylan song. Everything is broken. Broken dreams. Broken plates. Right? Broken clocks. Broken hates. He goes on. And everything is broken. You never knew that Bob Dylan was speaking Dharma, but he does regularly profound, bai why things are broken, they don't last some things go quickly or more quicker than others and su gui Mia. now that's interesting, what is it? Uh, quickly over and done literally su speedy, gui, return mia. vanish we translate it as extinction, which is a horrible term, quickly heading for extinction What do you think? Dinosaurs. Immediately, right? Quickly heading for extinction. Did you realize that all conditioned things are quickly heading for extinction? Are you a paleontologist? That's very interesting. Quickly heading for extinction. Uh Species? That's right. So, uh, we hope that the tea party is quickly heading for extinction. What will happen if they really do lose? Will the tea party stick around? They are... yeah. Uh, that's a question to be answered after November. So, quickly heading... No, uh, what do we say? Neither, um, quickly over and done. Gone. Gone. Things are gone. Um, you know what's gone quickly? Summer. Summer is really going fast. And when we're in autumn, we will not remember the summer. When winter comes, we won't remember, you know. The song goes, try to remember. It's deep in December. It's nice to remember the fires of September that made us mellow. Well, you have to think hard in December to remember the fires of September. Today is September 1st, everybody. We're into September. Man. Whoosh. Right? This is the year of the dragon. Year of the Dragon has... We're halfway through the Year of the Dragon. Remember when it was the Year of the Rabbit? <laughs> Last year, right? How quickly that went. Before that was... Tiger. Before that was... Ox. I don't relate to being a cow much. Ox, I'll take. So, yeah. Boom. Whoosh. Gone. So, so quickly... Quickly over and done. Then what else? Now, this is fascinating. They are not durable. They are not permanent. Um, neither coming nor going. Permanent is not a good translation. They're not durable. Here, Zhu here means to stop. They don't stop. It's a better translation. They don't stop. To Zhu is to. We say, "Live I Ali, where do you live? I live here they don 't stay they don 't stop they don 't stay anywhere. Dwell don 't use dwell dwell is not a word. people are familiar. there. things don 't stop. will I but that third one they neither come nor go. What about that that 's another level, isn't it? The Bodhisattva looks at things as wow they that 's like It didn't come, it didn't go. It's made by the mind. You can't find the mind. Where's that? Where do you look? Where where is all this analysis of things happening? It's happening in the mind. Right? As we look at things and see them, we can imagine how these flower blossoms wilt. Where's that happening? In the mind. Where's the mind? Can't find it. Whoa, wait a minute. It's dissolving as I sit here this is the buddha's description of how the bodhisattva's mind works how interesting our bodhisattva is profound and how is this possible is the bodhisattva some like monster of analysis no this is possible because the bodhisattva enters samadhi the bodhisattva can make his or her mind very quiet and still and pure and concentrated. with that ability to quiet the mind and make it pure and concentrated the bodhisattva is observing what this present moment that we are all participating in why don't we see things this way? we're not still and quiet enough but the potential for stillness and purity of samadhi is here with all of us right this minute the bodhisattva has done it sat there long enough, held the precepts and sat there, and now sees things that way. How interesting. How interesting. This is not some bizarre, you know, planet Chiron broadcast from another realm. This is the Buddha saying, yes, this is the third ground. It's not the tenth ground. This is a young Bodhisattva who has used the Dharma to transform Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind into precepts, concentration, and wisdom. Greed, anger, and delusion has flipped into precepts, concentration, and wisdom. And this is the result. This is a lab report. Right? The sutra is a lab report. This is the bodhisattva reporting from his own body and mind what's going on at the third ground. This is not fantasy or theory. This is reality from the third ground, which is available to each one of us should we decide to go there. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So we actually did one paragraph more than we did last week. And next week, I have to decide. See, here's my choices. I really like sitting here without electronic aids but I would like to show the new translation that I'm working on. I'd like to share it with everybody instead of having one printed one here and one new one here. One answer would be to drop the screen and sit here with the computer so you would be looking at what I've done over my head. So the screen would stop there, and you'd be looking. But that would require the lights to go down, the projector to be going on, and you'd have to shift your attention from that to me, from that to me, and that's not you know, we've been discussing the technology of the details of how to do that Um, another way would be to print out lots of new copies and hand them to you but that's going to um, waste a lot of paper so we're thinking on how that will work simple is good so maybe if I just read it to you then when we finish the last few pages we're going to move on to the fourth ground and Ideally, we will have worked on it beforehand, so I'll, I'll be giving our, our layout uh, volunteers better text. This is, an, this is a translation done in the 80s, and we have, we've moved on and improved since then. Okay, pretty exciting stuff as we look at, through the Bodhisattva's lenses at the world around him. And what does, what does the Bodhisattva on the third ground see? So that's where we are alright uh, let's transfer the merit and I have a lot of information to share with everybody and also a new song These tuners are so responsive. It's really a joy to dial that in and get it just right. It makes a difference. So the dedication of merit is found in two places. One is if you have the songbook in front of you, please turn to the last page in the songbook. If you have this um, chanting sheet, it's also on the chanting sheet. of merit is interactive, it requires you to, um, to make a wish. Today is the Ulambana uh, celebration and we were talking about the power of transference which uh, is talked about in the Ulambana Sutra how that works. And so please do um, take the merit from listening to the Dharma and and uh, reflecting on it with with the bodhisattva, the third ground, and uh, send it out. Make a wish, make a gift of it, and send it out with a wish to benefit whoever you would care to in whatever way you'd like to do it. Here we go. There's a, a song I just uh, discovered. Uh, Marty told me that um, his grandmother, uh, a good Irish Wisconsin grandma uh, who lived on the farm, farm in Wisconsin, used to scrub the floor and sing this song. She sang it loudly and did it enough that it impressed him as a kid. And he uh, always associates. He he loved this song because he associates uh, his grandmother, who was a really good grandma and loved her grandkids, with this song and with with feeling at home and on the farm. And it's called the October song. It's nothing to do with October except there's a, some uh, references to golden leaves on the ground. But October song is about impermanence and it's about time and changes and uh, after we were this this was the topic of our uh, tea aunts tea and dharma night last this week and so i dug it out and listened to bert janch if anyone knows bert janch from the pentangle years ago Uh, he does a couple versions of it that i saw on youtube and this is the most amazing traditional song that speaks Dharma about impermanence that I've found in many a year. This is a Dharma song. I'll sing you this October song. Well, there is no song before it. The words and tune are none of my own for my joys and sorrows bore it. Beside the sea, the brambly briars in the still of evening, birds fly out, behind the sun and with them I'll be leaving. The fallen leaves that jewel the ground they know the art of dying and leave with joy their glad gold hearts in the scarlet shadows lying. Very pretty imagery, right? When hunger calls my footsteps home the morning follows after. I swim the seas within my mind and the pine trees laugh green laughter. Suddenly, swimming seas within your mind, this is a whole other... Hmm. I used to search for happiness and I used to follow pleasure but I found a door behind my mind And that's the greatest treasure. What? Like, oh? For rulers like to lay down laws and rebels like to break them. And the poor priests like to walk in chains and God likes to forsake them. (laughs) Never mind the monks. No, 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 no. Last line. I met a man whose name was Time. And he said, I must be going. But just how long that was, I have no way of knowing. Sometimes I want to murder time, sometimes when my heart's aching. But mostly I just stroll along the path that he is taking. Okay, that's the song. How amazing. Talking about impermanence and how living beings, that's us, just mostly go with it. Right? I'll sing you this October song. There is no song before it. The words and tune. Are none of my own For my joys and sorrows bore it Beside the sea The brambly briars In the still of the evening Birds fly out behind the sun And with them I'll be leaving Of dying and leave with joy their glad gold hearts in the scarlet shadows lying. When hunger calls my footsteps home, the morning follows after. I swim the seas within my mind, and the pine trees laugh green laughter. To search for happiness and I used to follow pleasure, but I found a door behind my mind, and that's the greatest treasure. to break them and the poor priests like to walk in chains and God likes to forsake them Said I must be going, but just how long that was, I have no way of knowing. Sometimes I want to murder time, sometimes when my heart's aching, but mostly I just stroll along the path that he is taking. I'll sing you this October song. Oh, there is no song before it. The words and tune are none of my own for my joys and sorrows pour it. Beside the sea, the brambly briars in the still of the evening, the birds fly out behind the sun, and with them I'll be leaving. and the uh, the incredible string band recorded that, uh, but I think Bert Jansch's version is better, for what it's worth. And I brought an expert in Irish songs to share with you his insights. So, what would you like to tell us about that? Well, the line that I like the best is the one that says, "I met a man. I met a man whose name was Time." You do? You like that best? Yeah. What's the best part about it? Well, he says, "I'll be going." <laughs> <laughs> I'll be going. I don't get it. What? Are you thick? No, no. So he says, "Time is going, right?" I still don't get. It. Ah, yeah. Just you were born in the year of the ox, right? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. So that's how long ago that was. I don't know, but time time moves on impermanence. Ah, you're speaking Dharma. That's correct. Now you yeah, get Yeah, there you go. Sometimes I want to murder time. Metaphorically, of course, you know, because time doesn't have a body, you can't kill it. But you try. Why? Sometimes when my heart is aching, it never seems to end. It just goes on and on, and I wish time would just get on with it, you know. I want to kill him. But mostly, you know what I do? No, what's that? I just stroll along beside him all of the same path that time has taken. So what have you done about that? Well, essentially I learned to do Chan meditation, you know. I cross my legs and then what happens? Well, time slows right down, you know. Sometimes I think the guy with the bell has fallen asleep, you know, and I just wish it would speed up. So, in other words, nothing changes. That's right. But at least it's worth passing because like he says, a door opens up behind your mind, That's the greatest treasure. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. Yep. And what about that pot of gold that you used to teach us about? Nah, never mind. The pot of gold can't compare to a secondist illness. Wow. Profound. You're growing a lot. You're hanging around with the monks. You increase your wisdom a lot. Good. Okay. The story that I wanted to share is an amazing story. And I need to announce to everybody that I am in the market for... Magical animal stories, okay? Because in October, I'm going down to Los Angeles to um, speak at the vegetarian conference on our relationship to animals, and we've been talking about it here at lunch. What um, all the different ways to that humans relate to animals, and there's it's really profound uh, from. The uh, those spiritual drawings on the caves at Lascaux. Um, there was a movie recently on these caves in France that were opened up and they found these um, drawings that come from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And the, they're just charcoal on the wall of the cave. But the animals are... Living, you know, they're, they're the most essential, basic sketch lines. But the, you can see the, the animals. Anyway, I want to, uh, I'll be talking to the vegans and the doctors and the, the uh, nutritionists and the cooks, about um, a Buddhist perspective on animals. So anybody who's got a great spiritual animal story, please share it with me, and I'll consider presenting it to the. The vegans. And one of the best ones I found this week was the story about the elephant whisperer. Anybody read that one? Nope. The elephant whisperer's name was um, Lawrence Anthony. Lawrence Anthony. He died of a heart attack uh, this year. And the 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 community that knows him mourned because he's an amazing I, I don't know if he's if he's American or British but this story is floating around the internet British. He come from British. Yeah. he's British he Lawrence Anthony S-T-R-11. oh that, sh- 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 <laughs> my story <laughs> British thanks all right what did he do? This man—he um, wrote a book called *The Elephant Whisperer*, and there, there's three books that he wrote. He—he he tells the story of uh, going down to South Africa and starting uh, an elephant preserve called Tula Tula, T H U L A, twice. He looks like Ernest Hemingway as a young man. He's got that—he's got a broad face and a beard, and he's got that look. But he. Um, risk his life to save the lives of elephants, like Kai mentioned. And uh, he, some of the amazing things that he did was he persuaded Africans who were wanted as war criminals to protect, instead of killing humans, to protect the white rhinoceros from extinction. He taught African tribes to set up game reserves and he... um, rushed into Baghdad at the beginning of shock and awe when George W. Bush voluntarily destroyed Baghdad and saved the animals in the Baghdad Zoo. The poor animals. Wherever there's a war, the animals in the local zoo are totally helpless. Well, Lawrence Anthony went in and saved the Iraq, the Baghdad Zoo animals out and saved their lives. Um... In 1999, he set up a 5,000-acre game reserve for elephants down in South Africa, and uh, someone heard about that and said, I have nine rogue elephants that are destroying uh, everywhere they go. We're going to shoot them dead because we can't team them. So Lawrence Anthony said, okay, send them to me. And they came, one was the the matriarch who ruled the tribe, Um, he named, he gave her the name Nana. These elephants, nine of them, were storming all over KwaZulu-Natal, destroying everything. Well, he brought them there, they came in a truck, and he put them behind electrified fence and said to them, the elephants, Nana was the one who came right up front, he said, please stay with me because I will save you if you will stay here. And she was raging because she had been put in a truck and trucked to his reserve. And he only had this strand of electrified barbed wire between him and this rogue elephant matriarch staring down at him. And he he said that she had her child beside him, her baby elephant. And She wasn't the worst threat because there was one young male who was charging him and stopping right before the fence and just kind of gnashing, trying to get at him. And because this guy, Anthony, had seen a few elephants before and he knew about their socialization, he asked the trucker who had given him the elephants, captured them, who is this? It was a young male whose mother and sister had been shot before his eyes. He was protecting the other nine elephants as any young male would. So he identified immediately who was who in these nine elephants. And he, you know, there they were in the, uh, in the enclosure, and he knew that the, the Nana, the, the matriarch, was famous for getting out of anything they'd put her behind. She was an uh, escape artist, and as soon as she went through, all the other eight would follow her. So he got a frantic phone call that night. And they said, come down because they're running. They're going to go. And he came down in the dark, stood face to face with Nana and said to her, if you stay with me, I will protect you. You will live. If you leave this enclosure, you're dead because they're going to shoot you. And behind him, the villagers showed up with their high-powered guns, and they said, "You let these elephants out here, and we're going to kill them because they, you know, they're going to tear us up." And so he said, "Nana." Looked at him, and he just he looked at her, and he just talked to her from his heart. and Said, "You, you know, you, you can't go. You got to stay. I'll protect you." And she blinked and turned and walked away from the fence, and the other elephants followed her. So he made it through the night, and he realized that in order to, to tame them, he had to live with them. So he moved out of his house and moved into the enclosure with them and lived with them and stayed with the elephants. So bit by bit, they socialized because of his profound depth of character. He communicated with the elephants. They agreed to stay. Okay, what happened? Well, time passed. Um, let's see. Instead of trying to break the fence down, she just stood there. She put her trunk through the fence towards me. I knew she wanted to touch me. That was the turning point. So he taught them to stay in the 5,000 acres that he has set aside. Um, he wrote the book called The Elephant Whisperer, My Life with the Herd in the African Wild. Um, they became so close to the elephants. Occasionally, the elephants would set up camp in his living room. And he would push them out. When Nana gave birth again, the, the matriarch gave birth, first thing she did was bring her baby to show him. Here's, here's my, you know, my new child. And he honored that. And then he had a granddaughter. And he brought the granddaughter to show Nana. Nana. And she, like, put her trunk on it and, you know, (laughs) sniffed it and, you know. So uh, this year, he died of a heart attack suddenly. And as if out of nowhere, two separate herds of 20 elephants arrived at his doorstep, led by two matriarchs. Separate wild herds walked 12 miles without being told to mourn his death. The family and others who photographed the elephants making their way to the house, and I've seen the pictures online, this file of 20 elephants, two lions, were amazed at the sight of the elephants, not only because they somehow knew that he had just died, but because they remembered a route that they hadn't walked for a year to get there. The most amazing aspect of the funeral cortege was its demeanor. As soon as Anthony died, the elephants had begun a slow and solemn single-file procession from their wild habitat to his home. They paid their respects for two days and two nights and then turned around and slowly in single-file walked back. The family says that they have returned several times since to share their grief over the loss of their beloved friend. So, several questions arise. How did the herd, 12 miles away, know that Lawrence Anthony had died? So, a great deal of information beyond the senses is out there to be learned. And elephants certainly are tuned in to that reality. And also that they honor friendship the man who had saved their lives, they came back to, to send off. And there's, there seems to be no doubt that's what they were doing because they hadn't seen him for a year. And he died and they came the next day. Two different groups, 20 of them slowly in single file. And they spent two days just, you know, honoring him, And then turned around and walked away. Like, okay. There you go. What's going on here? Who were those masked elephants? Right? Who was that masked man? So, anybody who has fine stories about spiritual animals or relationships, please send them my way and I'll consider relating them into my report to the, the vegans down at VegSource.com. All right. Announcements. Lots of them. Tomorrow, Gold Sage. Sutra Golden Light. A translation assembly. Anybody who would like to go is welcome. Gold Sage Monastery is on Clayton Road down in San Jose, and uh, you're welcome to, to come and take part and listen to the uh, the translation that goes on there. Take part in it. Nine o'clock to eleven o'clock at Gold Sage. Um, no further requirements. You don't have to, you know, be you know to know more than one language. Uh, You're welcome to join. Two is Thursday night. We are beginning our Chan meditation roundtable. Thursday night, 7.30, dining room, Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, 7.30 to 9. We used to have something called Berkeley Students Roundtable. We've now adapted it, and we're bringing it back. So Thursday night. Now, it helps to be under 35, which eliminates me. I can't come, I'm too old. But there may be an exception for Sangha members, I don't know. Anyway, uh, if you're over 35, this is the right place for you. Saturday night. If you're under 35, or if you came all the way from Taiwan, it's okay, (laughs) right? Uh, The round table is particularly for young people. Not that we're gonna throw you out if you're old, but Um, You get to sit in the back if you're old. Okay, over 30. What is old? Over 35 is old. Um, What we do is we meditate. I know, if you're 36, tough. Sorry, too old. Man, wu chang, ku kong, wu wa. Life is tough. Um, Come Wednesday night for Stephen's class. Come Friday night for Marty's class. That's all ages welcome. We sit for half an hour, then we talk about... Whatever's going on. It's if you've been to tea aunts, Tea and Dharma nights is similar to that without the tea. However, there will be snacks. So we accept all offerings of yummy crunchies that are vegan or vegetarian, that is. So seven thirty to nine, seven thirty to eight we sit, eight to nine we talk. Uh, nine on we munch on crunchies whatever that whatever you bring Um, so that's students round table chan round table chan meditation round table okay starting we'll do it every other week twice a month and if you have uh, young people at cal or stanford or state or Diablo Valley or Foothill or Contra Costa College, please let them know. We're recruiting from all the different schools. High school seniors who want to come, please bring them. Not too young, right? Ten-year-olds ten unless they're extraordinary, you know. Uh, probably. So Griffin, you have to grow up a little long. A, little, a couple more years, we'll bring you here. Saturday night is your time.: Yeah, uh, He hit the floor. Saturday night, this is the time for Griffin. Yeah, but the Thursday roundtable is for students, particularly and young adults. OK, otherwise, our weekly schedule is now officially in session. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll all have events. Marty's Thursday translation group will continue at IWR across the street. Um, so the round table will be here the Thursday night spirit rock group will be in this room, we'll be in the back okay, it's in the dining room this the round table uh, otherwise what else do we have to announce tomorrow. yes, tomorrow uh, starting at 7.30 is the uh, day long Buddha recitation um, reciting the Buddha's name According to the method of Dong Lin Si uh, uh, in China, it's a diff- slightly different way of reciting the Buddha's name. It works for long-term reciting. Because you inhale one, one name, exhale one name. Inhale one name, exhale. You can keep that going for hours and hours. If you try to do the namomito for namo fo, for hours and hours, you get hoarse, you lose your chi. So it's uh, it's a very effective. There are people who use this method for 24 hours and feel energized at the end and and uh, aerated. It's very uh, aerobically sound. So uh, that's tomorrow at 7:30, and it's done in silence. There will be lunch, and it ends at five. You can come for part of it. You don't have to come for the whole thing, but to get the real benefit, come for the whole thing. That's tomorrow. Um, What else? What other announcements do we have? Okay. Um, See you next week to continue with our third ground investigation into the uh, three signs of Dharma's.